Hey, what's going on, guys? Black Rifle Coffee Company. This is Mike Glover, your host. And uh, I got Dave Woods, good friend of mine. Um, I want to talk to Dave today to bring you guys some value on um, military veteran entrepreneurship because, uh, you know, veteran advocacy is an important element for us. But I also want to teach you guys some hard lessons learned over uh, the last few years. I've been talking to Dave through COVID and everything else about his business, some challenges that he's faced, and obviously uh, bringing you the value of those lessons learned so you don't have to make those same mistakes if this is your wheelhouse. Um, Dave, first of all, uh, thank you for making the trip out here. I know it was a pain in the ass to get out here. but well, I'm stateside now, so it's easy. Yeah, you used to be – you used to live in – you lived in China, yeah, Hong Kong, twelve Hong years, Kong. and Vietnam, and then Spain for the past two years. Crazy man! Yeah. Let's let's do this first. Let's um, give everybody kind of uh, your background, who you are, what you own, and then uh, we'll we'll kick it off from there. My name is David Wood. Uh, I was in the Marines, ninety nine to two thousand five. Went to University of Tennessee, and moved over to Asia in two thousand eight. Over to Hong Kong, based in Hong Kong, was asked to be a liaison, building underground house churches, seminaries in China, and then basing in Hong Kong because it was a free, was, prior 2019, was a free city. Started several businesses when I was out there, um, sourcing commodities, infrastructure materials, fabrics, tech stuff, and started Virtus in 2015, Virtus yeah. Outdoor Group. Yeah, Virtus Outdoors has been, uh, Dave supported me when I had like two employees. Like, I didn't have anybody, like at least I had cool swag because I was wearing Virtus Outdoors <laughs> stuff. Um, but it's interesting to me because, you know, your your history of going from the Marine Corps to kind of living in a foreign country, facilitating all these things, it starts with these underground churches. Mm -hmm. And what, is, what does that even mean? What, what was your goal and objective in going into Hong Kong? Uh, I assume they didn't have a lot of those, and you're just the guy. What what did that involve? So I was asked right when I graduated. I double majored in philosophy and religious studies. Didn't even walk for graduation. Had a had a guy, Tom Henry, who worked with World Serve, take me out for a steak dinner and a couple handfuls of whiskey, and asked me if I wanted to move over to Hong Kong. I had full custody of my son, so my son Jaden and I moved over there. And before moving out there, I kind of did a trial run, and they sent me into China to Beijing, Chengdu. Uh, Shanghai, Kylie, and um, some of the Western provinces to meet with underground house churches. So in China, if you are not worshiping the Communist Party, you're an enemy to the Communist Party, basically. Insane. Yeah. So freedom of religion doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Yeah. So if you wanted to worship God at, on any level, you'd have to do it underground. If you're a Westerner and you want to go to an international church, you still have to show your passport. Everything's tracked. Everything's documented. Before you go into the church? Yep. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So if you're a host nation, local citizen, that's not even an option for you? Or you could go to the churches, but... They you can, to... but you're absolutely tracked. Insane. So, and I mean, it, as of lately, they've kind of rewritten the Bible, like Mao's Red Book. And if you are even caught with a you know ESV, NIV, Old King James app... On your phone, you're you're in deep water. Because indoctrination is happening through churches, like right. many places across the world. Yeah, different religious sects. Um, so how did that go for you? I mean, what what, what did that involve? Um, duct taping a couple hundred thousand dollars to my body and meeting with underground leaders and facilitating funding underground house churches, doing a, building underground seminaries, and then doing a lot of liaison work where we were making sure money was going 
to what they said it was going to. I mean, we busted a lot of scam artists that were taking money from the West and saying, we're doing this, and then showing the same children kind of in every video in every province. And I was like, guys, I'm half Dune Coon. Like, I, not, all, you know, not all Asians look the same to me. I can, I can actually uh, tell that yeah. you guys are faking the funk. Yeah. So it was kind of busting some, you know, con artists and then working, you know, singling out the guys and gals that were doing God's work and helping to facilitate them. So was, was religion a, a big component of your life at the time, or was this something that you were just propelled into, but you, had, you felt like an obligation? Obviously, you had a purpose for this, or you wouldn't mm-hmm. have done it. Um, God saved me out of the trenches so many times. Like, life and death situations healed me from hepatitis C. Um, just over and over again has pulled me out of, the, out of the absolute darkness. So when I was asked to do it, I knew that it was what I was supposed to do. So all this, as far as on the on the American side, was on the up and up. Mm-hmm. It, it, there was a good purpose, good cause for what you were going to do. Yeah. How many years did you do that for? Um, I mean, I'm still involved in it, but I did it uh, 2008, 2012. I started DJW Holdings in 2012 and really wanted to be self-sufficient, not have to fundraise to stay out there. And I really wanted a proper reason to be going in and out of China and other countries. Um you know, for business visas and everything else. Where, where did you see, I, I remember talking to you years ago, uh, I think it was during COVID. Where did you start seeing crazy change in, I, I assume 2019 <clears throat> with the Hong Kong thing. Um, where, where was it like, Hey, this isn't going to work anymore. You're in danger. Did you, you got kicked out of China? Or, or you no, you fled China because because yeah. of all the things that were going Cause on. Because Hong Kong became China. How how did is that the turning point for you? Is when when basically it became China and they absorbed it and said we're gonna we're, this is us that we're not there's no freedom here anymore. Well, the turning point. I mean, it was crazy because and you and I talked about this before. Like anytime Fox and CNN are on the same page, um, you know, there's some shady stuff going on. Yeah, right. <laughs> I do that yeah. often. I look at both and go, if they're on the same exact page, yeah, something's wrong. Yeah, right? it's yeah. it's 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 one narrative, and we're we're eating the propaganda. So China was never coming in. Like everybody was saying, give these Hong Kong protesters 2A and, you know, they need to fight, yada, yada, yada. It was brainwashed Antifa. You know, it was, it, 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 it's, it's crazy. It was like the opposite of neo-Marxism that's going on here. Yeah. Right. They're professors at the Polytech, which is like their MIT, which was directly across the street from the flat that myself and my, you know, premature surviving twins were living in with little, you know, underdeveloped organs. And they, their professors told them, you know, China's coming to take over. You guys are, are going to be second-class citizens. Hong Kong people have more of a silver spoon than anyone I've ever met. They're trilingual. You know, they have British citizenship if they want it. These kids have an op- – if an idiot like me can go over there, mm. a total bonehead, you know, knuckle-dragger, Marine, <laughs> yeah. can go over and source and make money and go in and out of China, like these kids have the world – you know, it's, it's their oyster. So they're being told they're victims and to go up against the, you know, go up against China. And it was just them tearing apart their own city and beating up their own police and, and the Chinese and everything let else. Them do it. Cause obviously that was the Chinese loved it. Yeah. They're doing it. They're to just themselves. like, break your own stuff and we'll come in and fix it. Hmm. You know, the handover, the Brits, Hong Kong means sweet smelling port. The Brits used it as an opium den. Like they colonized, they treated the Hong Kong people as second class citizens. Hmm. They are Chinese. It is Guangdong province. Yeah. I mean, it, they, they speak Cantonese. That's their mother tongue. Um, 
So it's just really interesting to see that firsthand and to see it fall apart. Mm. Um, they act, the protesters invited me into the Polytech. I think they thought I was a, a contractor. They were obviously being trained by contractors, whether you want to say that's Soros funded or you know, New World Order funded, whatever, um, and invited me in to ask me if they were making their bombs correctly and showed me everything they were building from pipe bombs to fertilizer to syntax to, I mean, the whole nine. And I went back and told my wife, I was like, it's time to go. It's time to get out of here. Yeah, because yeah. they were trying to subvert. I mean, I, I, obviously, this is like sabotage. They're looking at targeting. Oh yeah, they're, they're yeah, going yeah. to war. I mean, they literally were throwing Molotov cocktails at the at the LAVs and everything else. Crazy so, man, it was wild. Did it get Did it get dangerous on the ground? As far as were you there on the ground while things like this were going on? It was literally underneath my flat. So we had tear gas coming up into my into my flat. We were paying forty five hundred a month. For a flat there, it was like Legoland, and then overnight it was complete chaos. And with my daughters, with their you know premature lungs and everything, I was just like, this is, you know, it, it made me want to be able to have my guns. Where did where did you go from there? So I so this is interesting. The minute that Trump supported the protesters and said basically we'll give them sanction, it was COVID overnight. So I left right before that happened. Um, where they shut down everything. Shut down everything. Wow. You know, and we had gotten out of there. My son went and joined the Marines. My wife and her family went to Lithuania. She's from um, Klaipeda, which is the port city on the Baltic. They went there. I went to Spain because of all the stuff that Vogue does with Spartan Race. That's right. Yeah. And I went to Spain. My daughter, um, my oldest daughter that I found out about like five years ago that found me on Instagram. Um, <laughs> yeah, wow. quick, hold side. You know, yeah. another, another time, another story. Where are the twins at? Where are the twins at in this? Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. Where are they now? No, I mean, where were they at um, when this went down? In, in Klaipeda. Okay. So yeah. in Lithuania. They so Jaden went to West Coast Hollywood Boot Camp. Um, should have sent him to Paris Island. Uh, my wife and twin daughters went to uh, Klaipeda, and I met my daughter in Spain just to hang out. She's in Playa de Carmen. She flew over to Spain. Um, and we met with the Ministry of Defense to do a contract with the sandbags and the rucks that we do because we have all the IP for the workouts and everything. And it was like... This is Spartan Race's stuff. Well, this was the Ministry of Defense that I met through Spartan Race. Oh, got it, got it. Because we'd partnered. I'd led a bunch mm -hmm. of the events in Spain and they'd, you know, it was just a, a good military contract. So I tell that guy, I'm going to go to Vietnam. Two weeks, I'll be back and I'm going to get all of your sandbags and everything sorted. There's a really badass Korean factory that GORUCK uses now, mm -hmm. Sinjian, that's in uh, Ho Chi Minh. They yeah. do Arcterics, everybody, all the big boys. And so I go out there, and Venice shuts down. Uh, this is early, early 2020 now. So Venice shuts down, then Madrid shuts down, and we just watch the whole world start to shut down. It was just kind of a Hong Kong thing, and then everything shut down. So my two-week trip turned into being stuck in Vietnam for eight months. So yeah. you got locked down in yeah, 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 yeah. for my mom, my mom died, couldn't fly back to barrier, like literally was just, was stuck there. Oh my, um, it, were you solo or did you have the, your daughter with you? No, I was solo. solo. She, we, she and I met in Spain and then she flew down to Mexico and I flew, flew to Vietnam. And you're, when you flew to Vietnam, you're facilitating business, trying to get these things accomplished. Mm -hmm. Two week trip turns into eight months. Eight months. Yeah. Dude, insane. Insane. Ins so there was no, there was no government or liaison effort to get you back through a diplomatic channel there, it, it, there was nothing like when vietnam shuts down what they say is king wow. i mean they were coming and taking my blood like three times a week in the hotel it was were you stuck in a hotel the whole time i was stuck in a hotel for like two months um it was a five-star hotel it was actually the one in in uh district one where the uh cia agents were hiding in the walls and had to get airlifted yeah out. yeah that hotel is still there 
So that's where I was staying. And then I just got a flat in District 2. One of my buddies that lives out there that does some company work yeah. was out there from Knoxville, Tennessee. So he was there to hang out with. And, and they locked down the whole country in oh, yeah. and out, right? Nobody can come in. Nobody, nobody can come in left. Yeah. Crazy. So you're there. I assume you're going to work. You're building business relationships. Oh, you could work. I mean, we yeah. weren't locked down within yeah. Vietnam. I mean, they were doing real data by the numbers. So there was 91 million people there, 91 to 92 million people. And there were like 400 COVID deaths. Wow. Just, I think like more people were dying from yeah. eating chopsticks in the back of their throat. Yeah. You know, so, running into cars. But they were looking at kind of, you know, their China's, lar- their China's seafood supplier. Yeah. It's a great contract to have. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, China was letting them still continue to fish and, and take care of their coffee and take care of their, their seafood. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was nuts. Like it was, I had to get a letter from the Ministry of Defense just to get out of there. I had to get a place in Spain and pay two years down to be able to show that I was actually moving there. And yeah, it was, it was nuts. And we just randomly picked Spain because it was close to where my wife and daughters were. I had been to Malaga and um, Puerto Banus, just a holiday. And it was, you know, nice place, southeast tip of Spain, near Gibraltar and a 40 minute ferry ride to Morocco. So beautiful place. Yeah. And we just kind of went there and looked at the lay of the land for a couple of years and watched to see what COVID was going to do and what the election was going to do and what was, you know, what was going to happen over here. So, so when you, when you left and you went back to Spain, America's not on your radar right now. You're thinking like you're flexing international business. So you're staying outside the country for, for right, for right now. And then your wife, because she's a, um, lives in a for, foreign country, Spain is the place that you could bring the family together. Right, it's EU, yeah. so it was simple. I mean, we paid a yeah. lawyer, and I had residency within, like, you know, two weeks. Oh, wow. So it was easy. So you get to Spain, then what? I got really tan, got jacked, got ran buff. up and down. <laughs> I, I remember seeing the videos. Spain is, I mean, I, I, we always ripped through Spain, Rota Spain, um, every rotation, and, and I had a lot of rotations ro- ripping through Rota Spain, and one of the most beautiful countries yeah. in the world. I mean, I, I've been to Gibraltar, did all the tours and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, It's beautiful. Um, how long did you live there for? Two years. Two yeah. years. Or about, yeah, about a year and a half, almost two years. Where does Virtus come in uh, in, in this timeline? Where, where so we're it? we're selling, we're pumping out goods, and it used to be super cheap to have a 3PL in Hong Kong and just ship everywhere internationally. Yeah. Any stuff we wanted to ship to the States, a 40-foot container was like forty two to $4,700, five business days. To it's get like it a 10x across. now. <laughs> it was the last container that we ended up shipping from Hong Kong took 70 days to get to San Diego. It was 30,000 instead of 4,200. And then it was 60,000 um, tariff to get it in. So 70 days. That's insane. Let's see, just sitting, just sitting outside of LA. Yeah. yeah. So um, business is good when it's good. COVID obviously messes all that up. Yeah. Hong Kong, China going into Hong Kong. How do you how do you survive something like that? What 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 are the ways that you navigate surviving business? Do you diversify? Do you do you reel back? Like what what were your tactics? Um, I I'd, I'd saved a lot, and I was still doing so. I've, I still do sourcing projects. Like we've got stuff that we're doing for NATO, totally away from Vogue, where it's just developing patented camo or um, you know filaments at the molecular level for patented fabrics, whether that's to make you invisible to nods or drones or whatever, yeah. you know, IR. But, I mean, I was burning through my savings. Um, it was uh, it was stressful. I was going to sell Vogue to some guys in the Middle East. And 
when I could finally... Um, Bog is Virtus Outdoor Group. Right? Yeah, Virtus Outdoor yep. Group. Yep. And I went back to Knoxville, Tennessee. Hadn't seen my family since my mom had passed. Went and saw my dad. And um, Mark Lonergren Hertel, I think you yeah. are a buddy of his. Yeah. Um, he had been doing a bunch of, you know, building out kits for all, sort of country, all, all sorts of different um, allies. And he said, go check out this factory that's in Tennessee. I went there. They were having problems getting government contracts because Biden gave their contracts to the, to the federal prisons. Um, awesome. Yeah. So it was great for us. It opened the door. They said, we'd love to do some civilian stuff. Um, and I worked with them for a little bit. They were in Scott County. And then I found, I bet you know, Alpha Industries. That's yeah. out of Knoxville, Tennessee. So the company that started with Alpha Industries is Valley Apparel. They're literally right on the Tennessee River across from Neyland Stadium. Um, I went to UT, so it's, it's right there. It's 15 minutes from my house. Um, and that's who I'm working with now. So they said, we, you know, we, we love your product. They're great Christian guys, uh, family-owned business. And, you know, they are successfully continually doing government contracts. Um, it's, I, it's, it's a miracle that they're taking a fish as small as me. But they are very uh, pro-bringing business back to America. So, I mean, their kind of long, long-term goal is doing a lot of civilian gear and, and just bringing jobs back, building out the infrastructure. And as China falls apart, you know, I was looking at stats the other day that they'll, in 10 years, they'll, that right now they're not 1.6, they're 1.3 billion. And then in 10 years, they'll be down to 650 million because the majority of their population are elderly. Wow. Remember, they wouldn't let, it was one child rule and they wouldn't they yeah. throw a, a daughter down the toilet yeah. or in the dumpster. Yeah. And so they've got this huge influx of males and the largest population being the elderly. Crazy. So that man. whole supply chain is going to fall apart, you know, before our eyes in the next decade. Yeah, I just talked to Dave before the podcast and was telling him about the tariff and the taxes that I paid on one of the bags that we outsource and paid $120,000 on a $200,000 PO. Um, and, and they didn't give us, like, we paid the two hundred grand, get the product to ship, gets to port, and then they're like, oh, yeah, there's an extra $120,000 yeah. tariff. And I'm yeah. like... 120 grand. I was like, what would this have been two years ago? And they're like, that would have been um, 20 grand. 20, yeah. And I'm like, so you added $100,000 to that. And that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, COVID. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A great excuse, right? Um, to, to, and to not restore things back to the way they used to be. Um, look, I, I look at you as an industry expert. We use you as consultation for things. I, and I, I want people to understand kind of how things are done, especially with international relationships and business of how things uh, are done with clothing. When you say, a lot of people say berry compliant. Mm -hmm. What does berry compliant mean? What, is that, what does that hold? So you've got, you've got OSI, you've got mil spec, and you've got berry compliant. You've got TAA. So to do a large government contract, whether it's MOD, you know, DOD, DOE, whatever, um, if you want that DLA funding, right, if you want that money, it has to be what very, very compliant. You, Department of Logistics Affairs, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so if you want that contract, it's got to yeah. be very compliant. Yeah. yeah, and very compliant means every single piece is made in the USA. The thread, the stitching, the fabric, the filaments of the fabric, the YKK zippers, whether it's YKK or Ideal, the zipper poles, um, every single last component on that has to be made in the USA. Really? So that's very compliant. I didn't realize that. So this is like one of your this is one of your jackets that we're That's the newest line that's in production right now. Every yeah. single piece of that is made in the USA. Okay, so even yeah, I mean even the dye sublimation, even the heat transfer for the logo, every single part of that. And it has to be based on the compliance 
um, to be very compliant. Yes. Meaning to get the contract for the military, it has everything has to be everything buried. has to be very interesting. Yeah. So now for you guys, like you as a Green Beret, as an operator in GRS, you have a Thor card. Yeah, you can buy whatever you want. Yeah, you, you can, can buy Arcteryx, you can buy Patagonia, you can you can do anything. Doesn't need to be very compliant, but it, for that DLA funding for for mass uh, for mass contracts and contracts, it has to be very correct. Now, w- w- one of the things that's interesting is I've seen place I've seen companies like Arcteryx and. Originally, a lot of the things they were doing was very compliant. Leaf. Yes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. What What is that? What is is Leaf an acronym for something or is law it... enforcement armed forces? Okay. So, the... but that was made in the USA. That's why a Gore Tex that's yeah. normally four hundred dollars was a thousand dollars. Yes. Right. Because the labor in the US is you're you're properly paying people. Yeah. You know, fifteen to twenty five dollars an hour for being you know whether it's sealing like the Gore Tex that I gave you that's got twenty six yards of tape. On the inside that is sealed on that, and it's tested with 1.5 pounds of water pressure wow. in 30 areas of the jacket. If it fails in one place, the U.S. government cancels that order. Wow. So if you have, so if you have a, a, let's talk about this. If this was made in China, there's obviously not a lot of. I mean, there's QC, mm-hmm. but you're using the cheapest vendors to get the material, to get the stitching, to get the zippers, and it's all consolidating in a factory, and they're making it. What is the price comparison as something? I mean, uh, logistics and supply chain. Has I would changed pay. The I would pay. I pay about one hundred and fifteen dollars to make this yeah. one piece, very compliant, made in the USA. I would pay thirty dollars to have that made in Vietnam. Wow! So a third yeah. of yeah. what it's actually yeah. doing. But then you have to ship it. Yeah. To pack it. Now it's different. You have though. to ship it. Yes. And and th- then you have to stock it in the U.S. You have to pay the tariff. You have to have an HS code. You have to have an EIN. Yeah. You know, not just in the U.S. All you need is a UPC code. You just register with the government. UPC. You don't need an HS code. All the fabrics are already made in the USA. They're all OSI. Everything's certified. Everything's trackable. Yeah. So in the end, it's a wash. Yeah. So one of the things that Dave is helping me with at my company, Philcraft Survival, and I'm I'm kind of getting educated on as as these things evolve. There's there's things that are happening now, even in the supply chain. I mean, all, all across the world that are actually making it more realistic to actually make stuff mm-hmm. in America. And one of the things is lead time. Right. Because, you know, before, one of the big incentives outside of the margin, which was the obvious one, was if you have if you have something and you order it from overseas and it ships, you know how much it costs. It's not a lot. And then that's going to take 30 days to get across the sea. And then you'll get it relatively quick, mm-hmm. and you could predict that time. Mm-hmm. Now, even today, uh, I mean, a year post-COVID, really, we're still looking at longer lead times, inconsistent manufacturing times, a whole bunch of drama supply mm-hmm. chain wise. And so you go to a factory in Tennessee and you say, I want to manufacture this and they could spit it out in a week. And then it's to your doorstep because it ships in USPS, FedEx, whatever. And now it's more predictable lead times. Mm-hmm. So you don't have a million dollars worth of inventory sitting on your shelf. Right. You could start to sell it mm-hmm. in a reasonable amount of time versus, yeah. you know, this is my drama at Philcraft. I order. Uh, a large order of bags, 20, 40, or 80 liters that we make, I'm investing 500000 in cash because mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't do a lot of things with banks. We use cash. And then I have to wait sometimes six months yep. to get it yep. to where I could sell it. And then I've already – I mean, I got the inventory on the shelf. And now by the time I recoup the money, it's a year later. Exactly. Which is insane, yeah. right? Even in the best times, even before all of this, it was still two drops a year. 
Wow. So this took six months for this program in the U.S. Yeah. Because I, th- this fabric isn't just on shelves anywhere. Yeah. So I specifically chose, put the treatments, infused it at the molecular level with treatments. Yeah. And made this Proprietary. Fabric. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, the lead time on these fabrics, you're looking at probably 45 to 60 days. Yeah. Right? But once that fabric's pumping and once that mill's making it, they they can crank it out once it's on the shelf. Yeah, they can, they can crank it out. They know the they know the grams per square inch. They know the filament of the of the yarn and everything. So yeah. it's just the whole. It's it's been killer being back in the states and getting to be behind the curtain, you know. Yeah. And seeing the fabric mills and having them work with me and everyone's obviously speaking English and being pro veteran and obviously pro America, but once you have the fabrics, once you've ordered the zippers. All of that stuff you're, you're holding at your cut-and-sew factory. Yeah. So you've got your fabric mill, you've got your camouflage printer, and then you've got your cut-and-sew. So my cut-and-sew is in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's the final stop. My 3PL, where, it, where I ship it out of and load it into Shopify, our 3PL for B2C, is 10 minutes down the road. Insane. So yeah. I'm not even making – I mean, I'll probably make you know 1,500 of these. We're selling a bunch of these, the Helios with the hood to the Marine Corps. We've got a contract with um, – the infantry officer training course, the gunner school, all the instructors. Awesome. And so they've got their personalized PVC patches. Um, it's great as a Marine. I mean, yeah, I, it's I just, really cool. It's, and, and it's one of my brothers who was my guide at boot camp in January 1999, who's a chief warrant officer for and runs those. Oh, that's and the awesome. minute that I brought it back to the States, he's like, hey, dude, now that you're making it in the U.S., we can do this. Wow. You know? And yeah. so it's being able to say, you, you at Fieldcraft, you say, hey, Dave, I want, you know, we just, we just pre-sold 1,000 of these Gore-Tex. Here's the sizes. Yeah. We just make those sizes for you yeah. and your logo and spit them out the door and they're done in five days. Yeah, I don't have to have uh, 500,000 of inventory sitting exactly, on the shelf. Exactly. Uh, so or, the fabrics yeah. are there, the zippers are there, the zip, you know, the, the hood pulls, every piece, all the components. And once they're there, you just crank it out. So you do your EDM, your email direct marketing, SMS bumps, and you're, it's literally hand to mouth. Yeah, I, I'm working with uh, Origin. I mean, we, we work with Jocko on his camo. We're, we're going to uh, support Jocko because it's a military organization. He's got uh, – not military organization, a military veteran uh, that we want to support. Um, but his his company uh, that he's co-partnered with, uh, Pete from Origin, mm-hmm. um, I'm wearing – oh, I'm wearing their jeans right now. This idea of American-made and getting back to uh, American goods – what I hate is all the people who say you need to buy American, right? They American only your stuff's made in China. Your stuff's made here, but they're not willing to actually invest and pay for the American made thing. Mm -hmm. It seems like what's turned and what's changed is if this was leaf, um, five years ago, this would have been, uh, $700. Exactly. Yeah. And, and retail, what is this running? We'll sell that for probably 325. See, that's like, if if you're willing as an American to say it can be only be American because it supports American jobs, American entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, American fabric, like every piece of this, like you said, yep. is made. That's the components are being made by Americans, bringing components together to be made by Americans. Right. Then you have to be willing to pay the price. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure, you can go on Amazon and you can go on um, uh, Alibaba and buy this very cheap. But it's not made by an American. It's made in a foreign country, and you literally are are supporting all the things that you you hate represent that right. you hate. Right. right. So, um, it, it, when people started coming at me because obviously a Green Beret starts a company, starts releasing products, they're like, "Well, your stuff's not made in America." I'm like, "Guys, I can't make this North Face 
bag that's made in a North Face factory based off the capacity. They gave us a small percentage, which is nothing. I mean, it's like 0.001% of their mm-hmm. capacity. I can't make that bag and sell it to you for $1,000 in America because uh, or made in America because you won't buy it. Right. So I think for me as an entrepreneur, the balance is diversifying and and be willing to introduce. It's like uh, trying to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, don't go cold turkey because you'll screw up your systems. Mm-hmm. Start figuring out ways to be more healthier, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I want to do as a company is I want to figure out ways. Like, we're talking with you actually to make a line of things like this mm-hmm. that are made in America that we could private label mm-hmm. that stands for quality but, uh, again, doesn't sink our business because a lot of the core things that we make um, are, are made overseas. But, mm-hmm. but again, due diligence, I use countries that – um, are indicative of, of our past and our history. Vietnam, mm-hmm. Korea. Uh, I'm Korean because of the Korean War. My m- dad met my mom. Vietnam. Mm-hmm. We, we fought for decades in Vietnam as Americans, and there's a reason why I think this is important to talk about. I, I want to ask you qu- a couple questions on um, your experience in this overall process, man. Mm-hmm. You've, you've been around the world. You've seen all the ins and outs, all the corruption, all the highlights of business and, and this thing. W- what are some... What are some highlights uh, that you could talk about that have kind of shocked you about this whole thing, this whole thing uh, international business-wise? And and where has that brought you today? Because I know you live in Tennessee. Your family's there, mm-hmm. and now you're back home mm-hmm. uh, after a long way around. Right. But but can is there anything that you could share with us? I'm shocked and impressed at how much infrastructure in textiles is already in the States. Mm. If I knew... I mean, God put me on a whole cycle and whirlwind to lose the ego, fail a bunch. And <laughs> land back me, home. Me, you know, win at a second marriage, first marriage from, you know, walking into Hooters as a young <laughs> corporal. Gave me a beautiful son. Yeah. You know, gave me a beautiful son. He's a handsome kid, man. Mo- most yeah. importantly. <laughs> um, but, you know, just being on that path and that trajectory and learning curve. But being in the States, I mean, I won't say it enough times, MOQ, 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 minimum order quantity. Um you can do anything in the States and not have to break the bank. You know, mm-hmm. there's been a bunch of stink a couple, you know, about a month ago about people cutting out labels and putting made in the U putting made in the USA on it and then getting hit by the trade commission and, you know, yada, yada, yada. I think that was an innocent mistake. I think that people said you can't get blanks anywhere. So I'm going to say, and I get nothing for, for saying this. I don't get paid by the company. I pay them, but U S blanks, all of our t-shirts are made by U S blanks. You're paying maybe 30% more than you would for Bangladesh or Vietnam, but you're not hitting these crazy MOQs. It's all made in the States. It's 100% organic cotton. Really? Um, yeah. What's so, the name of that shirt company? U.S. Blanks. U.S. Blanks. Yep. Dude, we'll do. I'll migrate right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great, and it's immediate. It's immediate delivery, and like if you've got a facility like these guys do, do here I do, yeah. I got one press, the Hebrew. I mean, it's any Pantone, any color you want. Um, I brought you one of the long sleeves. Today and it's 100 organic cotton. So you know that was one of those. Where's it made at? Um, they have a mill in California. They've got a mill in Texas, and they've got a mill in Columbia, South Carolina. So rad, man. Yeah, I'll do that as a as a as a commitment to what we're talking about. I'll make every Philcraft shirt a U.S. blank shirt. What? Yeah. Like it needs to be that. I mean, I'll upcharge you guys. <laughs> like, but when you think about the shipping and think about what we're paying yeah. custom wise or anything it else, it equals it, out. Yeah, it's a wash, and you're not having to sit on those crazy minimum order quantities. So, like, when I would order my jackets, um, you know, you have the Proteus, the original one. You have the whole set. I mean, that Proteus jacket would cost me 
80 bucks to make. Great jacket, the one, the, the kind of mock Gore-Tex. It's one of my favorite ones, yeah. But we had to, we had to order 3,000 of them. And that's like capital. Minimum. Yeah. Like, that's it. Minimum order quantity, 30% down, 70% delivery. Then it's FOB. Then you're paying to ship it, whether it's CIF, cost-insured freight, LDP, landing duty paid. Even back in the day, you're still waiting because you order that fabric. And this has happened a bunch of times. So on our website, I am colorblind. Just to put that out there before I finish the story. We had a purple Helios yeah. and a purple Astraeus jacket. My dumb ass thought it was blue. I approved it as blue. My wife and some other people were like, that's really ballsy to put purple on there. It's lavender. And I'm like, oh, man, I approved it. And we had what was supposed to be coyote, and it turned out to be prairie sand. Now, the prairie sand, uh, Patagonia had run this. Arcteryx had run it. And the Chinese mill that made all the fabrics and sent them to Vietnam – there's a 45 to 60 day lead time before it gets to the cut and sew. It gets shipped over. So if you're not happy and you want to change the fabric, you've just lost a year it's of sales. Too late. It's yeah. too late. It's too late. It's too late. They'll give you a discount if it's not exact or they'll pray you're a dumbass colorblind Marine mm-hmm. um, that approves it. But, it, you know, you're stuck with it. And that's that. And you'll always have guys that are, you know, a 3XL that get pissed and they're like, dude, why are you making a double XS for a little tiny people and you're not making a triple XL. And I'm like, dude, because I'm paying by the yard and wow. it's two and a half yards to make your jacket. And in Gore-Tex where it's $34 a yard, hmm. that's a pretty big difference. So everybody says they want to buy it. Like you said, until you make it and you're sitting on, you know, 150 double, you know, double triple XLs. Now in the States, you do a pre-order and 50, hundred dudes order it. They get it. Yeah. Same cost. You're not making them pay anymore. And you've already got the zippers ordered. Same with extra, extra small. Yeah. You know, same thing. When you do a pre-sell, what is your average lead time from the pre-sell to the date of delivery for them? I know it's based off, obviously, what you're being made. But what's a good range for for consumers without losing their shit, without getting crazy? So we'll say in an email, um, and like you, we've got great, you know, great, great customers. Yeah. You know, they're in it for the long haul. Yeah. They'll buy every color of that jacket just because they love the ethos Virtus is Latin for warrior virtues. Yeah. Um, they, they just want to support it, but we'll say like we're selling, we're doing a, a pre-order and it's going to be two and a half weeks, mm. you know? And the minute that two and a half weeks is over, it's done. It's cut. Those sizes are in. It's five days to make that stuff. They'll ship out the next day. Because you can go directly to the factory and mm-hmm. have that conversation yep. versus a, a one week going back and forth with a Chinese whoever liaison. Oh, you'd never be able you'd to do nev- that in Asia. Yeah, you can't even You get contact. your delivery one, t- you know, maybe if you're a huge player like Arcteryx, you're getting a delivery every quarter. Yeah. But most people, it's, you know, summer and winter. So I, I think, you know, from a business perspective, it's important to understand like, the biggest issue you could run into business, which is the biggest issue I've run into as an entrepreneur, is cash strapping your company. Because if you don't take debt, like we don't have a lot of debt at Fieldcraft, mm-hmm. and we take, um, let's say, just say we're, we're ordering a thousand bags, mm-hmm. a mobility uh, panel packs. We order a thousand of those, and it, it takes us six months to get. We are out that cash. Yep. And, and that cash isn't utilized to activate other things like yep. marketing, media. Yep. The list goes on. So the ability to do this for business, this is B2B conversations, mm-hmm. is super important and more critical than ever before. And your surprise, did the infrastructure exist and you just didn't see it because you weren't home? Or is it just now getting squared away? Because I, I remember the video you shared with me of the factory mm-hmm. 
and it had robots and yeah, shit. Yeah. It had Americans working on and I'm like, this is a factory. This looks like an advanced factory in Japan. Right. And it's in and it's in Tennessee. In Scott County. Yeah. In the mountains. In yeah, the middle of yeah, in the yeah. middle of nowhere. Yeah. So is that something that um has existed or or have they been forced as an industry to get their shit together because of all the things going or I, I assume it's an opportunity because all the shit show that's going on with the logistics. All of the highest and highest tech factories have existed, but they've never done civilian gear. All very compliance all very contracts. Compliant. Exactly. And now those military uh, players, those those contracts, um, they're sharing some of their capacity mm-hmm. for civilians. Yeah, for and civilians. they're very open. Like, I've, I reached out to Pete from Origins and chatted with him because he and I both use fabrics from OSI. We both use one, the same camouflage printing mill that's in Tennessee. And so it's rad, a very man. open thing. Nobody's trying to hold their sourcing back. That's why I say use U.S. blanks. You know what I mean? They're great. Yeah. I'm using them. It's simple it's easy and you're supporting american business and yeah. you know blanks and hat you know tees and hats are just they sell like crack yeah it's, you know? it's cash and so it's a constant turnaround of those and and you're supporting u.s businesses See, i think the importance of like the start point of all this is transparency yeah like when 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 we release like when go ruck had has gotten hit up for this where go ruck releases a bag and i see the sponsored ad and then people are attacking the company because they're like how could you charge so much money for a bag? And you're like, this bag is this specific bag is made in America. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you guys are saying to a business who's who's making things in America that it's not right. But I think what's what's more important uh, is talking about margins mm-hmm. because you you look at a margin, you say, you know, I pay you know a hundred dollars to make this jacket and I sell it for three hundred. Most people would go, well, you're ripping people off. It's like, no, man, that's how business works in the margin mm-hmm. because you have the overhead, the employees, mm-hmm. the keep the lights on and all that stuff. Um, d- did you notice anything when, when coming back home away from international business, what are the obstacles that we face as a country to deal, whether it's B2B business or as consumers working through this conundrum, this, this complexity, it seems? Well, I kind of had to reinvent the wheel Um as far and thank God, you know the factory is so semper gumby and and flexible. Yeah. With me because we had to change the cutting. You know there. You, you know you and I have put on three and seven layers where there's a ton of slack in the arms and this and that. When you're paying by the yard, you know that's just you're you're burning cash. Yeah. Right. Um, none of the factories have logos, so all the heat transfer, all the PVC patches, you're having to outsource somewhere else. Mm-hmm. All the inner care labels, you know, kind of all the stuff that's done for you in Asia. It's just a one-stop shop. You've uh, got to now figure out. But at the end of the day, you're creating more jobs. Uh, but it's it's fun because then you're getting to go. Like I use Label Industries. Again, Knoxville, Tennessee, Label Industries. They do all of the printing and all the embroidery on the U.S. blanks that we buy. Reach out to them. They're an amazing company, Mark Galehouse. And Mark will put in all of the inner labels. They'll do all the heat transfers, everything. Then they'll get that to Valley Apparel, my cut and sew, and the guys will put it on. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of learning again. Okay, I've got to order hang tags from here. I've got to get UPC codes from here. I've got to get the UP stickers. I've got to buy bags to pack them in from here. I've got to get sexy boxes if it's, you know, over 250 for an item to put it in and package it. I love the brand 10,000. I think they've nailed it. It's cool to see somebody actually getting in Lululemon space. I love Lululemon too. Um, yeah, great it's quality. Yes, yeah, I feel My great favorite gym it. shorts are Lululemon They're gym great. shorts. It's, it's great. great. And, and yeah. I love how 
minimal both of their logos are. Like I like how it's how it's yeah. just you can wear it and nobody really knows what you're wearing. They both literally make the tag <laughs> to where you can pull it out immediately. Oh, wow. you know, in the back of the neck, Lulu and yeah. ten thousand. Um, but it's interesting as a sourcing guy seeing ten thousand because I bought their stuff from day one and seeing the stuff they've made in Vietnam and made in China are different sizes. So like I'm a large in some of them and then I buy a shirt and I'm like, damn, am I a fat ass or what, what's going on? And it's like, oh, this is made in China. It's a different pattern file. You know, it's, it's a different tech pack and their designers haven't been in, in, in cahoots with each other. Uh. And so it's, you know, bringing it back to the States and having everything dialed in with pattern files, tech packs, you know, the pattern files are made on Gerber the way that it cuts. And it's just, you know, everything is aligned and will always be aligned. Every small will be a small, every XL will be an XL. So you guys are inventing, I mean, you're reinventing the process right. with American manufacturers. Yeah. And and do, do you see, looking out across the landscape, like the origin and, and the pizza of the world, is this something that's catching on? Or or do you think everybody's going to default back to the old ways, just to international business? Like for me as a company trying to diversify and also just trying to survive, I'm like, I can't afford to do international business anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the mar- the margin loss, the lead times holding that capital, there's a whole bunch of justification for stepping away from it anyway. Do you see people jumping on that bandwagon? Smaller businesses, yes, immediately, because they don't want to pay the tariffs, the shipping costs. They don't want to get stuck with $100,000 and then another $100,000. Companies like Apple, where you think about how many iPhones they can fit into a 40-foot container, mm. I mean, I, I don't even—I couldn't even guess. I would say a forty-foot container full of iPhones or MacBook Airs is a couple billion. Yeah, massive amount. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you're making chairs or making—you know—making things that take up that that are ass that take up space, the margins are gone. If we go to war, I mean, if there is some stuff that really pops off, uh, it'll be interesting because originally I would make and use tech fabrics in Taiwan. Taiwan was its own country completely different. I mean, you're very versed in the whole mm-hmm. chip thing that's going on. And yeah. thank God that's the, the seeds have been planted to have that all, you know, here on the home front. But I don't think companies, even the big boys like Patagonia and Arcteryx will, will want to air freight stuff over mm-hmm. because that's not, I mean, fuel prices are going one direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it's as immediate as air shipping can be, if you're making 5 million garments per quarter in that SKU, your margin's gone air shipping. Yeah, it's and super expensive to air ship. When there's problems at the port and China's not releasing, like Shunda is where, uh, in China is where Arcteryx makes the majority of their stuff. Mm. And so if that port gets locked down, or Xiamen gets locked down, which is, you know, a 40-minute boat ride from Taipei, mm. you know, which is where the majority of Patagonia is made. So... You know, the minute that stuff's locked and stuck and there's a supply chain issue, um, they'll have to come to the U.S. Yeah, it's interesting. I, yeah, I never thought about that. But just talking about potential contingencies, if we're talking about a war between uh, America, call it the United Nations, um, and Russia and China, because China will be involved in some mm-hmm. capacity, I, all those ports, all those uh, the, the air shipments, it, it gets shut down in, in some way. Will that thrive American yes. made business? Yes. It would blow 100%. up. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, materials, period, would be shortcut. Yes. And then now, since we can make it in house. So I, it's crazy to uh, conceptualize that this entire thing's made in the US. How is the material made here? 
I, they just they I, I assume there's a few uh, manufacturers that spool this material, mm-hmm. yep. and it's based on cotton that's made in North Carolina. Polyester, cotton, uh, nylon, everything. So Everest does a ton of stuff. So this is interesting. So Everest, which is in uh, North Carolina, about two and a half hour drive from me, um, OSI uses, Brookwood uses, MMI uses. So guys, Google these companies. MMI, they're out of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, Brookwood, I'm sure everybody that's military knows about Brookwood. Yeah. Cryptex used a ton of Brookwood stuff. Um, and OSI. Hmm. Those are the three biggest players. They're all doing civilian stuff now. So they supply to Patagonia. They supply to Arcteryx. They supply to Lululemon. So, for example, I went to Everest and saw they've got, I don't know, man, I'd say a million square foot facility out there. Yeah. Taiwanese investment, but it's an American factory. Yeah. Sorry, it's not a factory. It's a mill. Yeah. So they have the option there if you want it very compliant or if you're doing civilian and you don't care. So it's half the price to get yarn flown in from China or Taiwan, and then they actually spin that there into the fabric. So you can't sell that to the U.S. government. Even though the fabric's made in the USA, the yarn is not made in the USA. Interesting. So they have but you can y- reduce the cost for civilians. Totally re- by you- reduce the cost. Yeah, yeah. Now, we're not doing that. Everything we're doing is buried just because we want to be able to say, even to the blanks, like using U.S. blanks, every single thing now is made in the USA. I love that, man. The stateside. Everything. Yeah. Every last thing. The freaking decals, the sticker, like every last, you know, swing and sausage. Every so last you're piece. migrating the old Virtus completely over to American yes. made. I yep. love that, man. Yeah. Um, the most disappointing thing I've ever had happen in my life in this in this clothing aspect is uh, I went to Pendleton's factory in Pendleton, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of Pendleton. I, but mostly vintage Pendleton because mm-hmm. I've thrifted it. I, I never paid a lot of money. People are like, oh, you got an awesome Pendleton uh, collection. And I'm like, all of this is from a thrift store, guys. <laughs> like, I never realized how expensive Pendleton was. Yeah. I was buying it, and it was reasonable prices thrifting it. But as I uh, started looking at tags, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It's like most of it's made overseas. And then I went to the, the, the mill, which isn't a mill at all. You go into the the mill, I guess one of the original mills, and there's material that is spooled up like it looks like it's in a mill, but there's no actual physical mill there. And then everything in the pro shop on the front end is made overseas. And I'm like, what? I, I'm so confused right now. Pendleton is was like Washington-based, Oregon-based, and stands for all of these things that's American-esque. And everything here is made in Vietnam. Or, right. or Bangladesh or right. wherever. And and I never realized like even the OG origin stories like Filson, like Pendleton, they're all outsourcing now yeah. overseas. So you got a small business that's capable of doing this, and then you have big business who's capable of doing it as well, but they're not willing to. Right. Is it because they've already committed to the margin and the system and they're just like, I'm not gonna do it? Well, look at GoRug, for example. Like all their stuff's made in Vietnam now. Yeah, which is I, I don't under, I, I I mean I've I've talked to the owner and CEO of that, and obviously it's about cost. It's about business. They got some good private equity in. Yeah, yeah. And they're, you know, I don't want to say they sold out, but business is business, and yeah. I think they've done a great job. I think their event evolutions are badass. I think it's sick how yeah. they were able to take selection, pre-selection, and turn that. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the event it's experience component is, yeah. is rad. And you know, it just that's, and we can talk about failures that I've had. You know, I've, I've had to set up multiple LLCs. Now we're a SDVOSB. The hell is uh, that? Service Disabled Veteran Known Small Business. What, what, how come I don't have that? 
just you apply can, for it. What is that? What is so? What is that? Oh, that that is important when you do military contracts because you get the. You don't just have a cage code and yes. it duns. Yeah. Now you are You're honestly, bro. It's fighting back against the woke. Yes, it's like all right, I've earned this. You want to play that game of uh, woman-owned factory or minority-owned factory? Okay, or or company? Sorry, LLC. All right. Yeah, I'll check every. I'm block. a disabled vet. We'll, we'll, I'm a minority. I'll yeah. check every block. Yeah, yeah. That's, so okay. that puts you, you know, for those for the DLA funding, it puts you at the top tier. So you get first dibs. How much? What percentage of your business now is DLA or military contract related versus the Virtus component, which is civilian related? I'll tell you in Q1. Yeah. Because <laughs> this stuff's on the line. Like we it's don't rolling. have any. It's rolling right now. We don't have any of this stuff on the website. The only purchase orders that we have done and filled are for Quantico. But that's still not a government contract. That's because my buddy runs the courses up there. We, I, that could have we could have made this in freaking Pakistan, um, and they would still be able to buy it. He yeah. just, as a you know badass and, and yeah. brother of mine, was like he's been wearing it no matter where it was made personally. But when he saw we were bringing it back to the states, he said, "Now I want to bring this up." So he flew me up there. I went and did a dog and pony show and met the brass, and they all loved it. Loved the you know honestly, they were like, "We've been wearing Patagonia and stuff that doesn't even want." affiliation with the u.s government or with the the military yeah so we've been waiting for somebody to make stuff in the usa that's on the same quality tier yeah i was i was curious because i was wondering if military contracts now are more lucrative or less lucrative because of the downturn on war fighting and and things that are going on in the, in the budgets if if that's not even a thing anymore because all you know all those companies patagonia most of them blew up. Like I was wearing Patagonia issued stuff in special operations mm-hmm. and people were like, I, I, I was in an Apple store once and the kid goes, is that a Patagonia? I said, yeah. And he goes, where'd you get that? I was like, I was issued it. And he goes, oh, I know exactly about that. Car. He was a Patagonia fanboy. And he goes, I know exactly about he that. He was an operator way. fanboy too. Yeah, he's like, ooh, that thing's sexy. He's like, you can't get that. And I'm like, I just got issued. I don't care. Right. I just wear it because I, I got issued it. But people were surprised to hear Wait, Patagonia, a seemingly woke company, is supporting the military? Well, when there's dollars and cents involved. Right, then, then, right. Yeah, for sure. So my, you know, our big cash cow has always been our B2C, you know, just direct to customer. That's your MSRP. When I say I'm going to sell this for XXX, I'm always saying in my head, I can offer a 30% discount mm. to our EDM, to our email direct marketing, to people who've always, you know, spent money with us. But on the website, it'll be this. And then you have the, the squeeze room, you've got the elbow room to give a 30% discount. Now, when you're selling B2B, like the B2Bs we sell to are Optics Planet, Venor, Camp Saver, which are all owned by the same mother company. Mm. Now, they'll want 60% off of MSRP, right? Wow. So that's a harder, depending on the size of their purchase order. They want 60 points off the gate? Off the MSRP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. But they warehouse it. They buy it. Yeah, they, you know, so it's not like Their you're sitting there and yeah. drop shipping, um, but it's interesting, and I'll share this with you live time as we as we do it, and I'm waiting until we have everything fulfilled. So in the government B to B buyer to buyer, you've got Quantico Tactical, you've got ADS, and you've got Darley. Yep, those are the three big players. So you basically get a senior sales rep, and you offer him a floating margin, and you say if you sell five thousand of these you can make XXX. If you sell 500 of these, you can make X. You give, they're the salesmen. Yeah. You give them the incentive. They're at the expos. They're at the trade they're shows. They're doing it all. And they're taking it to the National Guard. They're taking it to 75th Rangers. They're taking it to da-da-da. It's not getting it into the PXs. It's getting it to them mm-hmm. because they're getting paid commission on their work. 
And that's the beauty of being able to make it in the U.S. Because if you can't, because if you're making it overseas, even if they say, oh, it can be TAA compliant. So TAA compliant means it's made in a country that we have a good SOFA agreement with or whatever trade in relation. Exactly. Exactly. But if you've got a 45 day window to fill that and you miss it, you've just fucked yourself and it's done. Yeah. And and you've got a black eye. Yeah. They're going to say to other sales reps that you try to go to, oh, dude, don't go with Virtus. They couldn't fill this. I wasted this much time. Because if it's not filled, they're not making their commission. They've just spent all that time and burned a relationship. So having it in the U.S., having the fabrics there, having the zippers there, you can fulfill it in a week. You know, So that's going to be my biggest, you know, um, Tristan Hungerford, Casey. Uh, he was combat controller. He's a GB now. He's one of my co-founders. Great guy. He's been waiting for us to have this so he can walk it through. So he'll kind of be our point of contact and he'll reach out to the senior sales rep. Sean Fleming, um, I'm sure you know him, SEALs. He was lieutenant colonel with Triple Canopy. He's, yep. he's one of my shareholders as well. The owner of Quantico Tactical was his instructor at Bud's. So he's been waiting and he's buddies with General Darden from Kingdom. So they've all been waiting for the production lines to be done. Yeah. And then they say, okay, let's see how this arena goes. Now it might be a total flop and nobody wants it and that's okay. We'll yeah. Do our SEO and do what we've always done and you know, it's, it's, it's always a mountain to climb, dude. And it's, you can have a bad year or a bad quarter or two bad years. And it's the people who stick it out yeah, that make it, yes. you survive, you make it. I've never met anybody with a success story unless they're a trust fund kid that says, Oh dude, it was easy as hell. It's if you're willing to freaking put skin in the game and give people sweat equity that can really perform, um, you'll make it. You can weather the storms. I'm currently in this conundrum right now. I'm, I'm we're doing everyday water. Um, <laughs> And the beverage business, just like this business, is very difficult to navigate, full of challenges and obstacles. But, I mean, that's entrepreneurship, right? That's, that's what it's uh, there for. Before we close out the podcast, I want to ask you a few questions about – you talk about lessons learned. Mm-hmm. What, if you had to highlight a couple lessons learned that you're like, guys, never make this mistake because this is the mistake I made, what would they be? Choose your investors so wisely. Yes. Choose I've actually your done investors. that well, but, yeah. I mean, choose your investors so wisely. Uh, cash is always easy to get. Um, my biggest failure was ego and failure to be exposed for not really knowing every part of my business. Mm. Hire a great team. Hire, you know, I design stuff and then I get it to a tech pack designer and she gets it to her pattern file designer and it's, it's right. Mm. You know, like, dude, I failed so hard on making women's leggings um, <laughs> and didn't go to like proper women to test these things out and i mean yeah. it was it was it was bad we had a generation that was like a gen that went out that was just completely inappropriate looking well you mean you being a connoisseur of yoga pants didn't do well in developing i didn't I, yeah, rudy reyes and i didn't try them on and do yoga enough <laughs> together well you know for long enough sessions but um you know it's it's been humbling and enlightening to just drop the ego you know have yeah, you I, have changed i will say you have Sobriety I mean, helps with that too. I Five years so, sober. I am sober as well. When when uh, life change. When uh, yeah, I, there's some things that happen, but I feel clear. Like I used to hit. I drink bourbon every night. Yeah, and me think too. That's completely normal. Yeah, yeah. And and now I'm like, I don't need it. And it's just it's made everything clear to me, and also just cleaned up everything. And and that's I I could tell. Yeah. That you you're a different person uh, here today. Um, sorry, what was the other one? You have any more? Well, it was just having mentors that will call you on your bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's easy to have a bunch of yes men around you. Yeah. But that's the worst thing in the world when you hit hard water. 
Who so, are your who are your mentors? Right uh, Tim Scott is probably one of my biggest mentors. He's one of my co-founders. Mm. Extreme bow hunter goes out and hunts grizzly bears with a longbow. Doesn't even pack a gun. Yeah. Uh, John Lawler, very successful businessman in Knoxville, Tennessee, that just mentors twenty eight guys now. Has his, you know, sold some construction companies. Doesn't need to work another day in his life. Really and tells me what I don't want to hear, but that what I need to hear. I and then my father. That. How do I get on that bandwagon? I'll introduce you to both of them. Is there a twenty? Can he get twenty nine? He can get twenty nine, dude. I'd love, I'd love that. He's always man. got room for a for a green bray. I would love that, man. Yeah. I, I need the mentorship and your father. Yeah, tell me about your dad. Uh, Vietnam corpsman was wild as hell. Got kicked out of Wheaton College. Got drafted. Went to Vietnam. Um, married my mom, who was first generation Ashkenazi Jew, Jewish immigrants. Hence the tan, um, <laughs> the tan and the and the afro pulled back. Um, <laughs> Found Christ, uh, was going to go to law school, found Christ, changed his life. My mom converted, Messianic Jew, um, and has been a pastor, was senior pastor at Cedar Springs for 26 years, big church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, retired when my mom died and then got called back. So he's the senior pastor up in Annapolis so at, right, at EP. Man. So he's living on Chesapeake Bay and, really? and shining that torch and loving it because all of these kids that could go to – they're not kids, all these young men and women that could go to um, – Ivy League schools don't want to be part of this extreme neo-communist woke culture. And so they're going to, you know, these schools. And at Annapolis, the midshipmen, he's getting to mentor them. And you're getting all these, you know, SEAL officers and admirals, you know, old Marine Raiders, MARSOC guys, um, generals that are getting to pour their lives into these, into these young people to help fix this nation. So, so rad, he's man. at the end of his life. He's really getting to be there. I'll turn a... How old am I? 79. I'll turn 43 this week. You know, you're getting old when you know, you know there freaking old yard. Next month, yeah. Um, and so he's he's in town now, so we'll get to celebrate my birthday. So rad. But it's, it, yeah, he's been, a, he's been a mentor, and he's really aligned me with folks that are, um, you know, good, solid Christian warriors and, and that just not Bible yeah. bangers, yeah. but people that, that want to see you thrive and that want to really spread the gospel by loving yeah. and not judging and not being an, an inward congregation, but shine, you know, shining light. You got to catch a fish before you clean a, a fish. And I had to get caught many times to, to get clean. So rad, man, such a rad story, such a, a humbling experience that you had overall. And it's good to see you back home, man. Thanks, I, I, when you, when I heard you're coming back to the U S I was actually excited. Cause I'm like, David needs to be back home. Yeah. yeah. I mean the country in a weird way, saying this outside of service needs you and your expertise with stuff like this, because a lot of people don't understand how this works, but to mentor young men and women who want to start businesses, who need to understand and navigate these issues before making that mistake over the course of 10 years and destroying their lives mm -hmm. can, can listen to you and, and potentially thrive. Uh, I want to say, I appreciate having you on the podcast and I'll leave it to you for closing thoughts. Yeah. I appreciate being on it. Um, Vogue has been, has been great. I mean, Virtus is Latin for warrior virtues. It's, it's been awesome getting to be in a place where you're bringing back people back together and not, not separating them. My goal with this is to sell this by 2028. If speeding up that time, maybe 2025, go get my counseling degree at UT and then work with uh, veteran drug addicts and people in dark places and be their psychologist. So that's next on the horizon. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. We all got those goals and those, those aspirations. I, I think it's, that's what you got to do. That's what you do. Yeah. And, um, uh, where can people find you online and uh, the website for your business? Vogstore.com. Um, don't buy anything on there right now. We're flipping all that inventory. It's all made in Vietnam. Wait till late next month or December. Everything on there will be very compliant. Website will be completely redone. I'm David J underscore Wood on Instagram. 
you probably won't be able to find me because I'm completely shadow banned. Yeah. Um, and then Vogue.global is our Instagram, Virtus Outdoor Group, Facebook. Those are not shadow banned. Awesome, man. Yeah. I appreciate you, Dave. Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. Cool. Thanks, guys. See the show notes below to get catch all the links. Um, I'll see you next time. Peace out. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!